Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't let others track what you do. Keep yourself safe at expressvpn.com slash watch chat. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Chad Prather Show. I've been looking forward to this one. I don't know that anybody ever really truly looks forward to Monday, but, you know, these days in the midst of shutdown, shelter-in-place, quarantines, whatever you want to call it, uh, do days even exist? I don't even know. We're in the month of April, I think. Uh, it feels like 2020 has lasted forever, and we're just now in the middle of i guess we're late april now aren't we i don't know i don't know where i am even i I don't i just wake up every day i'm like a a goose that wakes up in a new world every day thank you china hey listen uh we're hanging out studio 22 in the mothership got the puppet master mark over there candice the queen look at her y'all don't look like you're socially distanced yeah there you go thank you for (laughs) moving apart from one another oh my goodness you kids and then of course sitting over here at the party foul pub party foul himself Look who's sitting with you. Not only Hot News Natalie, but you got Bougie Sean in the house. You know we're going to be doing something interesting if Sean shows up. Yep. Yeah. And we do have a great show in store for you. Uh, For some of you, you're going to find relief in this. Some of you are going to get angry. Some of you are going to um, not know what to do with this because you have so much information that has been flying past you. Uh, really at the speed of of the internet coming at you with everything, coronavirus, COVID, all of these things. And a lot of folks don't know what to believe. And the thing that I keep telling people, Natalie, is that I want people to get over their feelings. You know, Ben Shapiro always says facts don't care about your feelings. And I keep saying, let's look at some numbers when it comes to this thing. But people, they get their feelings hurt about it, right? Have you encountered that? I mean, you've seen... I feel like that's all I've seen. Yeah. Instead of we're, we're living in a world of fear rather than cautious optimism. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So I want to break, we're going to break that down for you a little bit today. Uh, and we're going to get deep into some facts. We're going to get deep into some numbers, some statistics and things like that. This is going to be one of those episodes you don't want to just watch. You want to probably watch it twice and you want to take some notes and, uh, you, you, we're going to get into it. I'm going to help a lot of you. I, I say I. We are going to help. I mean, I'll take the credit if, you know, whatever. Y'all know where it all comes from. <laughs> the brain power. We're going to get into it, folks. Um, all things COVID, of course. Uh, and I know, I look, I get on the news and I, I flip around. I'm looking at all the different news channels. And that is all that is dominating the news cycle. That is it. I mean, forget anything else that's going on. Um it's that and every now and then they'll mention kim jong-un in north korea maybe he's alive maybe he's dead and we'll get into that later this week because <laughs> we've got some pretty strong opinions there as well um but it's just all coronavirus what do you believe so with all of that muddled information that is surrounding covid19 uh i thought it was about time to bring in a professional no not you party foul no not you no. I thought it was my day to shine. No, this is going to still be another one of those episodes where you realize what an underachiever you are. Yep. There you I go. I already feel that way. And uh, <laughs> But we're going to dive into where we went wrong in our response to COVID-19, how we can possibly return to normal life, the steps we need to take to live with this virus, because let's face it, it's real, it exists, it's here, and it's not going away. Uh, and today we're going to be joined by Dr. Michael Wilkutz. 
uh, a researcher in cell and molecular biology. He's a pediatric endocrinologist. Uh, he's going to share his findings with us, going to discuss the future of our country under the threat of COVID-19. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Classic Learning Test. They're a brand new sponsor for us. I'm happy, always happy when we get a new sponsor and, and partner with these folks because they're folks that we believe in. Uh, this this group, listen, the classic learning test, also referred to as the CLT exam, uh, it would have been impossible, even as recent as a few months ago, to imagine a scenario in which SAT or ACT could actually cancel all of their tests for the spring under different circumstances. That's what's happened. It'd be a dream come true for CLT as they you know, look to challenge their two competitors. No company wants their big break to come as the result of an international pandemic. However, CLT has been preparing a solution for years. Rather than canceling any tests due to COVID-19, CLT has tripled the testing dates available for this spring. Most importantly, they're making the CLT available to students via remote proctoring at home. CLT has been developing and piloting this technology for nearly a year. Their initial plan was to utilize remote proctoring as an option for students living in extremely rural areas, but they're excited to make it available now to all students given the current current pandemic situation. Now, many parents and students in America still do not know about the CLT as a third option. Everybody still thinks SAT and ACT. I was just talking about the SAT last night. I killed it. I killed it. My wife, not so much. <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, many colleges are just now looking at CLT as a solution. The exams are taken online just two hours with the same day results. The classic learning test, CLT, it's been used by tens of thousands of students, hundreds of colleges, and provides the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation, accomplishment, and potential. Better tests create better students, folks. So to register for the June 20th official college entrance exam or other upcoming tests, I want you to visit cltexam.com. Both exams can be taken from the comfort of your home. Go to cltexam.com today, and we'll be right back. <laughs> all right folks here we are uh i want to get right into it uh dr michael wilcutts as we said molecular biologist phd in molecular biology uh a pediatric endocrinologist thanks for coming in the studio you're welcome and hanging out with us a little bit i posted yesterday uh sunday afternoon that people did not want to miss this episode uh, because i have some pretty strong opinions about it but again you know who wants to listen to me i'm just a you know country boy that doesn't know anything and I didn't tell them you were coming on because I wanted it to be a surprise. And everybody was saying, well, why would anybody listen to medical advice from you, Chad? And I'm like, well, I don't give medical advice. I, but, and nobody on the show is giving medical advice. But we do want to point out some numbers that are going on and some, some of the reality that's happening. Because if you watch the news, we're all going to die from this. Uh, if you listen to family and loved ones, people are scared. People are worried. And if you say anything optimistic or positive about this, everybody automatically thinks that you just don't have um, any feelings at all for people who are suffering. Is this a real virus? Yeah. Uh, coronaviruses are well known. One of the reasons it's called 19 is it's we've had ones before, right. different numbers. 
Um, and it's been associated with common cold and also flu and things like that. Now, every virus is different uh, from a genetic point of view and, and therefore how it behaves mm-hmm. in terms of how lethal it is, how infectious it is. All those things can change and viruses can mutate. This one, in a nutshell, is very infectious. Um, and part of the reason people were uh, in public health and stuff were scared and went to some of the measures is because um, they started to realize that. And then we also, we weren't sure how deadly it might be. Right. We didn't really have, unfortunately, good or honest data coming out of China where this started. And Imagine that. That, that yeah. put you know people at a disadvantage in how to deal with this. But you can go back and look at the newsreels your, yourself and see like when the president fortuitously had a travel ban to China in early February, there was a lot of kickback, not so much for scientific reasons, but political reasons, you know, mm-hmm. and that's another problem with, with dealing with this is the politics. But um, initially people, even in the uh, public health were, were saying, well, we can be kind of, you know, we'll watch this thing, but you can go about your normal lives and stuff. It was really towards the end of the month where th- and into March where things changed. Mm-hmm. And, I have sympathy for them because they're they're trying to protect lives, but we all remember they were worried that we are the death toll in the United States could have been in the millions. That's what mm-hmm. they were worried about. So everything in hindsight is always more clear. But at the time, you're, you're trying to err on trying to you know reduce a calamity, and that was part of the reasons a lot of these actions took place, which are unprecedented, mm-hmm. like a lockdown. We've had pandemics before and never did that. Um, but this was the projections they were dealing with, maybe a few million people killed. Now, so, and, and part of that's very infectious. It's turned out to be very infectious, but it's not nearly as deadly as we thought, mm-hmm. in all honesty, it's just not. I mean, we were, everybody, one of the things they, they alarm people with is, well, you can be asymptomatic and spread this. But asymptomatic, by definition, tells you that it's not clinically significant. Right. Asymptomatic people are not dying. Right. That's one of the most, pr- death is a profound symptom, right? All right. And <laughs> yep, you got it. asymptomatic people are not being admitted to the hospital. <laughs> right. but, they, but they can infect, but they're also becoming immune. So when you calculate the two true death rate, you have to distinguish between the total number of deaths per confirmed cases right. versus the total number of deaths for everybody that's been effect- infected. Mm-hmm. Now, that death rate of, of infection is much, much lower than what we thought because we're discovering all these people through antibody testing, and which proves you've been exposed, uh, that have been, sure enough, infected and didn't even know they had it. Mm-hmm. So it's very infectious, but it's not as deadly, number two. Um, and I can talk about numbers and compare that to a regular uh, flu, even though this is not the same as a flu, we're just talking numbers. The third big thing, then, is the people that, that do succumb to it most likely for, have to be hospitalized serious illness and death they're a defined group mm. well that gives us a chance to focus on who's at risk that right. gives us a chance to how to manage this risk you cannot avoid risk in life you have to learn how to manage it mm-hmm. okay and that's what we have to do here but that that those are the three main things we've learned and we need to start acting on them it's very infectious not as deadly and the at-risk groups are defined yeah so and, and that's it i would add in the in the presupposition under all of it is it's real it, it exists oh, yeah, it's real it's not a hoax you know and people always want to say oh you guys your president call it a hoax 
No, he was talking about the politicizing. He's talking of about it. the politicization of it. So let's right. we have got to. That's one of the things we've got to stop doing on both sides is putting words in people's mouths for political reasons and that that kind of thing. But you look at you look at these hospitals that are out there, and the idea is because we see a snippet on the news and we'll see there's a refrigerator truck and oh they're piling bodies up in these refrigerator trucks and they're burying them in the park and and they're overcrowded but i'm seeing a lot of medical professionals that are being furloughed yes right which gets us to the whole idea of what's essential and what's not and that's mm-hmm. another another, right. another point you're probably going to get to but yeah and people also have to realize that this has hit different parts of the country much differently, and it's and it you can't it's not strictly associated necessarily to who locked down and who didn't lock down. Mm-hmm. Um, there are geographic differences because you have different populations. New York was the, you know the perfect storm. Well, let's talk about that. Why why New York? Because everybody points to New York. Why why well, New York? The the the, the risk factors uh, in in many ways are remind me of Italy in the sense that mm-hmm. okay, so New York has a very dense population. Uh, you you have elderly people there. You have people of all ages, but you also have a lot of travel. I mean, the, the travel into uh, LaGuardia Airport and Kennedy International travel coming in from places like Italy, mm-hmm. <laughs> where this thing took off, coming into places, uh, and, and a lot of Italy got lit up because it had a lot of tra- traffic from China. The right. Chinese were building in Lombardy. That was one of the hardest hit areas of Italy. And Italy has an elderly population, uh, and there's a lot of pre-existing conditions there. Those are the people that got hit. A lot of that's true of New York. If you if you look at the um, uh, the, the the deaths in New York State, over uh, eighty uh, over ninety percent of them were people above fifty. Over eighty mm-hmm. percent were above sixty. If you get into the seventy uh, range, still very very high. And uh, of the people that died. Uh, I saw some statistics coming out of New York City, but the people that had no pre-existing conditions, independent of age, made up maybe 1%. Mm. Now, it's still 1% of a large number, so you're going to find people that say, hey, I know about this person and the right. anecdotal stuff. But by and large, this this hits people with pre-existing conditions. And the reason it's hard on the elderly is, well, guess who has more pre-existing conditions? As mm. we grow older, we all tend to accumulate Man, pre-existing conditions. It. I got and, stuff falling off. And we just point. have older bodies that have right. had more wear and tear on them. There, there are pre-existing conditions in kids, but we haven't seen similar similar uh, numbers. Um, there are cases of, of kids, but they're they're much different than some of the other flus. Mm-hmm. And that's true if you look at deaths, that's true if you look at hospitalizations. So New York had a lot of that. And plus, you know, if you go back to February when the travel ban was announced, people are encouraged to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you've got people traveling on the subway by necessity. New York, uh, was tr- New York City was trying to discourage uh, automobile traffic for uh, both environmental reasons and, and public policy reasons. Well, that makes people dependent upon the subway. Right. I mean, the the people that go into the hospitals and things like that, they they, they got to travel on those things. Mm-hmm. Before we knew more about this disease, and you know, the month of February, people were not wearing masks. Okay, or not to any great degree. Uh, there wasn't an official lockdown. That gave this thing time to to really set, and then finally go off mm-hmm. like a, a, a you know a, you know explosion, and. Um, then we had then we started to institute mitigation measures but if you if you look at new york uh, uh, at one time new york and new jersey 
had over 50% of all the cases and deaths in the United States. That's fallen a little bit. It's like in the 40s now. Yeah. But Still 50% though. Yeah, for a long time it was around 50%. It's still in the 40s. If you do, mm-hmm. I looked at, I did, I looked at the latest numbers last night right. <laughs> uh, for the every single state. I went through every state. And, um, uh, but there's also something about the difference in the percent deaths of total cases. Now, we got to define a case means that someone has been shown to have the virus. Right. As opposed to an asymptomatic person that wasn't tested. You get, you get an idea of that number by going back and start testing people for antibodies, mm-hmm. okay, which we've started to do now in various places around the country. New York, uh, Miami-Dade, Florida, California. There hasn't been a lot of it going on in Texas, to my What's knowledge. What's the number in Texas? I know people are going to want to know. What, about antibody positive? Uh, just as far as, because you, you said in terms of the cases, let's well, talk about ca- that. Because ca- okay, let's, all right, the percentage let's, being in the 40s now in New York, what would, what, what would Texas look yeah, like? Yeah, let's go uh, to, to cases. Uh, Texas uh, is, is amounts, and I got it right here. Texas uh, is like 2.5% uh, of all cases, and okay. even though we're the th- second largest state in the union. Um, and we have uh, now, and what's, di- what's also interesting, if you, if you look at, well, of those cases, what's the death rate? Right. And if you look at New York, of their confirmed cases for a long time, they had 7.6% of those cases resulted in death. Yeah. Texas, it's been about 2.2%, mm-hmm. um, 2.4. Then if you look at something maybe more meaningful, you say, well, how many people are dying per 100,000 people? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you got the same denominator for everybody. Well, in New York State, that number as of yesterday is like 90 deaths per 100,000 people. In in Texas, it's like, I got right here, uh, Mm 2.2. New York City, that number is like 140. Texas, Mm. 2.2. And and then if you look at some of these states with, you know, high lockdown, uh, the the number per 100,000 people, number of deaths in like Michigan, for instance, is 33. So that's a big number. That is a big number. And that's, they're using Gestapo police state yeah, tactics. They are. They're, they're locked down. Right. And some of it doesn't make sense to me. You can go into a store and buy one thing and not another. I don't, I don't get that right. but from a public health point of view. But, but yeah, Michigan is like, um, uh, they, they have a high death rate, 6.2% of their confirmed cases uh, end up in death. The death uh, per um, 100,000 in, in Michigan, like I said, was like 33. Mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, um, California, which uh, has been a little different, uh, is uh, f- only 4.2. And you get into uh, a place like uh, Florida, which had locked down very late, only 3.4% of their cases uh, ended up in death, and their death per 100,000 is about five. Mm-hmm. Okay, what this happened? is why I mean it's, it's con- con- you know, not, not consistent right. with how these things were. In fact, the, the worst cases in the United States, other than uh, uh, there's a few exceptions like Michigan, but a lot of them are, are, all, are in the Northeast right now. Yeah. I mean, if you take New York, New Jersey, and add Massachusetts, you're back up to 50% of all uh, cases and, and deaths. But then what happened to Washington State? Because wasn't that the hotbed? And wasn't that where everything started and it was like the most con- confirmed cases? In what, New York, what are their numbers? Yeah, what no, are, in Washington State. Well, actually, State. Washington State started, and it started with a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So then what happened and to their it, numbers? Have their numbers decrease like, washington state's uh, is not as bad i mean I one think of the they, reports they, they that i saw it. is that now washington state there well seattle area a lot of the hospitals are virtually empty uh it's the same yeah. situation as so many places whereas it was full yeah 
And that that's the issue right there is it which I think and I'm I'm speculating here, it goes back to what Dr. Wilcutts was saying about it's 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 not as deadly as we thought it was or at least the model was showing that it was in, in going terms to of be. the to- total population right yeah there, and, and and uh i don't think there's any doubt about that they revised their own uh total death statistics we've gone from two million down to half a million to two hundred thousand now we're down to sixty thousand mm-hmm, to put mm-hmm. that in perspective and again these are not the same disease i'm talking numbers the, the typical amount of Americans who die every year from an influenza season is roughly 30,000 to 60,000. If you want a high-low uh, recently, like last you know, 10, 15 years, 20,000 on the low side. Two years ago, we had a flu season, uh, 2017 to 18, where about 80,000 Americans died. That's a lot. And we didn't, we didn't do any of this. We had over 800,000 hospital admissions for influenza mm-hmm. that year. Um, well, I, I tell you what, I want to get into that some more because that is very telling. Uh, but we're going to take a break. First, listen, one of the things you could do to help yourself is get a good night's sleep. And I can tell you, uh, I do it every night with this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful company. Anybody that helps me get sleep, let me tell you something. Technology's improved just about everything that's out there, your phones, your cars, your shopping. But mattresses have more or less been the same since the invention of, well, sleep. But hey, you deserve better. And finally, the mattress has evolved thanks to Purple. Look at it right here. I sleep on it every single night and have been for the last year. The secret to Purple is the Purple Grid. It's patented comfort technology that instantly adapts to your body's natural shape and sleep style. Purple is for every body. Bodies, right? That's what matters. No matter how you sleep. Purple is designed with over 2,800 open air channels and natural, naturally temperature neutral gel. So you're not going to sleep too hot. You're not going to sleep too cold. The Purple mattress is soft where you want it, firm where you need it, and comfortably cool all over. It's truly a mattress that does it all. So you can count on resting easy night after night, year after year, because the ultra-durable Purple Grid won't sink or lose shape. Purple is so confident in what they do that every purple mattress comes with a free shipping and return and risk-free 100 night trial experience the next evolution of sleep you need to get it go to purple.com slash watch chad use promo code watch chad for a limited time you'll get 150 dollars off any purple mattress order of 1500 dollars or more that's purple.com slash watch chad promo code watch chad for 150 dollars off any mattress order of 1500 dollars or more terms apply we'll be right back So we're hanging out here today with Dr. Michael Wilcutts, uh, pediatric endocrinologist, molecular biologist. I and I'm so thankful for him to come in and and hang out with us. Um, and Sean, you're from New York. I mean, you grew up there. Yeah. You moved down here what eight years ago from yeah, the seven city? years ago. Yeah. There's a few Italian people there. There's a lot of Italian. There's a people couple there. of Italian people in the city. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so imagine that travels back and forth from Italy. Uh, there's a lot of that. But you were asking about. Seattle, and that was you because you took the question right out of my mouth, actually, and I was thinking about that. So, what, what well, do you think about that? Well, it was a common um, it, it part setup because, again, traffic on the West Coast coming from China directly, including mm-hmm. Wuhan directly. But um, the way the state is now, and they they had some good mitigating uh, uh, 
procedures put into place and and you know they they had a focal point they had a they had a nursing home and so I, I think early on you can try to contain something and 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 keep it from spreading and and right now washington state uh has about less than 1.5 percent of total cases maybe 1.2 percent of deaths but if you if you again if you go like at that standard how many of their cases end up with death it's running around 5.5 percent which is still more than twice what texas is and deaths per hundred thousand people is around 10 mm. again compared to texas at 2.2 but it's you know they, they but they got it it was a flashpoint and they they started to get it under control remember they were one of the 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 washington and oregon area were one of the areas of the country that started to uh, donate ventilators to other areas of the countries when when they mm -hmm. needed it you know and um we're in a lot better position by the way on ventilators now after everything that's happened we we were kind of potentially at risk of being inadequate but uh the government stepped up, negotiated things, and uh, they basically, uh, uh, and with the Defense Authorization Act, uh, went up from like, instead of 30,000 some ventilators, uh, got up to 100,000 mm -hmm. in a few months with the contract for 150,000. Mm -hmm. So we're probably gonna have some excess ventilators. But that also allows us uh, the ability to respond if there's flare-ups and things like that that really require it. So talking about flare-ups or, or even second waves, I hear uh -huh. a lot of people talking about when flu season really hits in the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that's something that people really need to be concerned with at this stage in the game, or is it just going to continue right it's, on steady? It's this theoretical concern. Well, right on steady. I If you saw the data that um, – it was Dr. Bryan, I believe mm -hmm. his name was. He, it was really, he was talking about the biophysics of this virus and how it's affected by temperature, humidity, sunlight, and stuff. That was a, So you're telling me the president, when he says that warmer temperatures or UV light could UV? possibly have an effect oh, on this Oh, it definitely thing. does. I mean, if you believe... If you believe <laughs> I know he's got a lot of hell for that. If, so. if, well... That gets that gets into the how this thing's been affected by politics, which is a whole sure. other state. The biggest thing I think on politics has more to do with the whole reaction towards hydroxychloroquine, which is really um, mistaken. And we'll mistaken. get into that. We'll, but, we'll get into that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but if you look at his data, and I took a photo of it on my cell phone, but there, there's no doubt. You look at the way that the the half life fell mm -hmm. with respect to temperature, humidity, sunlight, and all these things were 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 basically additive. Well, we're heading towards the summer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was kind of joking when I saw that that data. You know, with higher temperatures, greater humidity, sunlight, and then you know, if you rub a little alcohol on your right. skin, you're okay. Sounds like we all <laughs> ought to go to a afternoon baseball game and have a beer, have a beer, and spill it on ourselves. <laughs> right. you know? I've been I've been putting alcohol in my body for a long time. I mean, you know, so and, and by the way, I'm just kidding uh, about spilling the beer and all that kind of stuff. That's but, right. And don't snort Lysol. Or yeah. anything else. No, I just said spill the beer. <laughs> don't spill, spill the beer. What you're going to do anyway? Don't do that. You know? that's, a, that's a carbon but, sin. Uh, <laughs> but it's not uncommon for viruses to behave this way. This is why you got seasonal viruses. It's the biophysics of the virus, maybe expanding other things, like can affect how easily it can penetrate a cell. Right. You have so you have summertime viruses because they react differently in those conditions. Uh, a, a lot of viruses and flu definitely die out during warmer uh, months with less humidity. That's why it's seasonal. Mm -hmm. And th those aren't accidents. Those are consequences of the biophysics and how that affects the infectivity of the, of the virus. Now, as far as what's going to happen next season, we're going to have to wait and see. Um, the people who I've heard comment on it think that 
while this virus can change and mutate, they right now at least they're not expecting it to change to a, much of a degree that it would make a vaccine that we're working on now mm-hmm. less effective. And so that's that's a good sign. They're worried about the, the virus, if it comes back in a second wave, overlapping with the flu season. Well, you know, again, we manage the flu season. Notice how we manage the flu season instead of shutting down. We, we, we have a vaccine available. There are potential treatments like Tamiflu. We can still exercise common sense, you know, cover you know cover your mouth stay home when you're sick things like that wash your hands wash your hands all of that stuff is has been good um we if there is a second wave of the coronavirus you would and and it's um structure is not changed enough to alter how it would respond to a vaccine you would you would postulate that then hopefully there'll be some immunity too as mm-hmm. well some of these people who have caught the virus gotten over it or were asymptomatic uh, and never got that sick hopefully those are all people with build-up immunity which means that that's the best social distancing you can do let there's me, let th- me, nothing better I, than being immune to it you're <laughs> on the tr- you're on the track of where i want to go with this because there's multiple questions that are hitting my head and mm. let me just throw them all in one lump and let you run with it so one, we've socially distanced or tried to, at least we've tried to affect that, put that into effect. I want to know, does it work? Is it giving us a false sense of security? At what point in time do we embrace the idea that we've always known of herd immunity? And what does herd immunity mean uh, to the average person who doesn't may not know? How does that work? And, you know, historically, as best I know, we've always quarantined the sick. Now we're quarantining everyone. Yeah, yeah that, that, that is a very good point. And historically, yeah, you're exactly right. Typically, quarantining throughout history has been focused on the sick. Right. Even when we do contract, uh, contact tracing, the idea is to focus on, on the sick. It's also something you want to do early on in, in, in mm-hmm. an epidemic to, to do it later after it's been through sight that doesn't make quite as much sense because it's already out there right okay you, uh, so as far as um uh herd immunity is simply you have enough of the community the population that is built up in immunity to a pathogen a virus you know bacteria that if it's circulating through the community and it it hits somebody or tries to you know let's say get infected and somebody that's immune to it their immune system is going to knock it out it's not going to replicate. It's not going to be as infectious. They're not going to pass it on. That's why I'm saying that is the ultimate social distancing, right. you know, is to have an immune person. Because as far as the virus is concerned, that's a dead end. Mm. It, 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 uh, the, the virus can, uh, or an infectious uh, pathogen like that can only transmit itself to somebody else if it's got a host that it can, you know, uh, grow in, mm-hmm. okay? Someone who's immune is not going to be a susceptible host. So it's a dead end point. And, and, and that's the whole purpose of people argue for vaccinations is that it's, it's because it's a community thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't have as many people getting vaccinated, then you're, you're, you're set up for something like measles to break out where it hadn't been before because you fall below mm. herd immunity levels, so you're vulnerable. Somebody comes from another country, comes across the border carrying measles, and this has happened, which is very infectious. We have outbreaks of it, whereas before we, we didn't. Um, 
that that's one of the tricky things about vaccinations. You have a balance of personal choice versus your choices affecting a community. Same right. way we drive, we don't drive on the freeway the way that we decide. Well, I'm I'm going to drive on the left side of the road right. because However that's my my, my personal choice. Somewhere. Right? Yeah. Something and, like and that. And by the way, so I, it's a little I, tricky. I am fascinated by the. Uh, I'll make people mad with this, but I don't care. The anti-vaxxers who are now begging for a vaccine. Well, that, that's <laughs> and not a, and don't, don't make it mandatory. Don't have mandatory vaccines, but you got to have the mandatory COVID vaccine. Well, it, it's like um, <laughs> I, you know, I have to, I have to plead with some patients to get a flu vaccine who right. are at great risk, but I still work with them and they don't. I mean, I've always felt if you have a good argument to make, you ought to be able to sell the person on it who loves their family. Sure. Okay. I understand why some people are, sure. have, have uh, misgivings about vaccinations and, uh, and, and th th that's a whole nother subject, but at the same time, well, at the same time, vaccines are one of the greatest success stories mm -hmm. uh, in, in human medical history. They've been so successful in general, okay, not in general. There, there are bad cases I could talk about, but in general, they've been so successful that they're a victim of their own success. Right. We don't remember uh, what, or, or know what diphtheria was like and knocking out a whole family. Smallpox, measles, some of these right. things are very, and affect babies and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, take like Giardasil. Um, I didn't like it when they made it mandatory. I didn't like it when they were trying to start it yeah. at, uh, uh, or they tried to make it mandatory uh, at, a, at a young age. Now, I, I understand why they would. I've seen young women die from cervical cancer. Yeah. But if it's so good, I ought to be able to make the case. Right. Okay? And if you make it, the more you make it something mandatory, the more you scare people. You do scare them. And, and so if it's a good case, make the case. Make the case. Hang on one second, doctor. And then I, let's take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to get into that a little bit. I hate interrupting people like that, and especially you, because uh, <laughs> you're making a great point. You said you talk about the, making the vaccines mandatory. Obviously, that scares people. Fear plays a big part in a lot of things that we're doing right now as far as decisions. Whether it's distrust, too. Distrust. It's fear. It's distrust. Things like that. Yeah. I, I see a lot of people, they'll get on social media, and they'll say, there's no way in hell they're injecting me with some vaccine, something that they just came up with immediately, and and. I think a lot of that is founded in a lot yeah, of ways. Because we, we've had some uh, vaccines related to flu mm -hmm. that there was a one with a, a one of the, one. There's been more than one swine flu, but there was one back, I think it was in the 70s that actually didn't work that well and did make some people sick. Now, in general, that isn't what happens to vaccine. I'm a pro vaccine person. Sure. Okay. To me, uh, it, it's it, like I say, I think they've been one of the, the greatest things in the medical history of the human race in terms of stopping death, alleviating suffering, and things like that, and, and enabling communities to exist as large as they do. Um, but uh, they're, they're not always perfect. The flu vaccine's not 100%. The virus changes all the time. Right. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a mathematical question. What are, what are your odds with the vaccine versus not with the vaccine? If I make you play Russian roulette, okay, bullet in the gun and there's and there's there, there there's the risk is not zero would you rather have five bullets in the gun or one bullet in the gun i'd rather uh, have steve try you know, for me yeah or something yeah. like that so <laughs> it, it's um it's your odds are much better with the with the vaccine than going without it in terms of 
having a good outcome, and that means preventing a disease without a significant side effect. Mm-hmm. Are, are they 100% either way? No, but, right. but it's, it's, you're asking me to compute a math equation and tell me which one do I have better odds with. The vast, vast majority of the time, it's going to be the vaccine. Right. I've and gotten the flu vaccine 30 years ago. Now, I'm, I'm obligated to because I'm a medical person. Sure. But I would have done it anyway. Right. And I haven't, I haven't had a, I haven't been sick with the flu for 30 years, and I have it in my face every year. Yeah. So, back to the, and we've talked about, because they keep throwing around the term new normal. I hate it. Uh, it's like using the phrase "my truth." I don't like that. It's either truth or it's not truth, and, yeah. and it's either normal or it's not normal. And normal is different for everybody. But when they say "new normal," they're talking about this distancing thing and, and less occupancy in restaurants and all of these different, you know, are masks going to be a regular thing? Let's go back to that question: Does distancing work? How do we proceed with this uh, in the days ahead in terms of our distancing? Uh, and and how does that affect the different age groups, let's say, with underlying conditions, elderly, and even factoring in children? What do we do next? Well, okay. Now, at the same time, I'm not uh, – I have a general you know, knowledge of you know, medicine because I'm an MD. I've got a background in molecular biology. I'm a pediatric endocrinologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I've studied viruses in molecular biology, but that's not what I work with. But – there's no all-encompassing expert on on this issue. We, mm-hmm. we we need we need experts on the economy. We need experts on pharmacology, molecular biology, uh, medicine, vaccines, epidemiology. So I'm marriage co- I'm, I'm kind of exactly, I'm kind of com- I'm, I'm kind of commenting from that point of view <laughs> right. uh, view on this. So not not really expert, but uh, the social distancing and stuff can. Uh, help to delay the spread Mm -hmm. okay it's not going to kill the virus right okay it's still potentially out there uh the 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 greatest the three greatest ways to stop it are effective treatment effective vaccination which is a type of treatment and uh and also immunity okay uh and so natural natural immunity uh so social distancing doesn't do any of those it's not really a treatment. It doesn't. It's not a vaccination, and it doesn't by itself cause immunity. In fact, it prevents immunity because it's preventing you from getting it. Mm-hmm. Prolongs um, the entire. Yeah, it could it, it, it could prolong the thing. So it's still you're still going to have to deal with it. But why do we do some of that? Well, again, go back. We were worried that this highly infectious virus might result in millions of deaths, mm-hmm. and. And they could come suddenly, and it could have overwhelmed the healthcare system. Okay, so this was his whole comment about blunting the peak, you know, flattening the curve. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that was a legitimate concern, which is why I'm sympathetic to to the unusual uh, steps that we took. I mean, mm-hmm. basically to to lock down a, a, a great majority of the country, which we hadn't done before, and to uh, treat healthy people almost like you were quarantining. Them. They right. were worried about that. Which is one of the reasons why I ask about and, children, per se, because right. they're not getting it. Well, it, but then, you know, early on, how, were we sure it wasn't going to hit right. children hard? Also, children can spread it to maybe a population like their grandparents and people in a nursing home or mm-hmm. vulnerable. We did, that stuff we had to learn. I think we've learned that now. And, okay. and it turns out that the, the elderly people, people with uh, pre-existing conditions they are vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, which tends to be true anyway right. but uh, like I say I think that the kids are are, are not as um, are vulnerable uh, that's an argument for going back to school so that's yeah, an argument when, for opening up daycare so people can go back to Amen. work so when do we so when do we get back to life then 
the new normal, well, whatever it is. Like, we've when we've we... also got we've we got public health people that look. Nobody wants to be the one that says you know, ollie, ollie, oxen free, mm -hmm. everybody yeah. coming, this water's safe, and then somebody goes in the water and gets bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. the shark. And then, yeah, th that, that's natural. People want to err on the side of safety, but at the same time, we have to realize, no matter what choices we make as a society, how much do we open up, how much do we say sh shelter down, there's going to be deaths mm -hmm. with either choice. There, no choice is risk-free. No choice comes without consequences. This is a matter of balancing. People mm -hmm. die from economic downturns. Mm -hmm. People, pe there's increased suicides. That this is well known to public health. Actually, suicides, drug addiction, abuse, mm -hmm. all these things. Uh, in, in addition to just lack of adequate health care, uh, poverty is linked to poor health care. Um, and in this case, since we're shutting things down, we have people that are not going in for medical procedures. They're not going in for things that they would normally go in for. And th this time last year, we, we're, we're down 85% in living donor uh, donations for transplants compared to last year. We're not harvesting these things because people are afraid right. to go in. That, I'm not that, working out. Th that's going to affect people. You know, uh, so not there, working out. There's all not kinds of there's all kinds of ramifications. What point is it's not risk it's not risk free. So we we have to relook at the data. You know, I mean, I know the governor governor New York uh, was acting like it's a choice between going back to work or death. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he's saying that well, the the real death rate in New York now because of the antibodies is more like zero point five percent. Well, that means ninety nine point five percent of the people who got it didn't die. That doesn't sound like a death sentence to me. Right. It sounds like something you need to manage. Good ratio. The 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 people that are really at risk in New York was like nursing homes, and we were sending people with co covirus recoverers back to the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. That was a kind of a mistake. Right. Uh, so we have to protect the at risk population, and at the same time, the one that's not, we you know. I, we need to open up. Let me go yeah. back to school. Not being in school has detrimental effects. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So it's it's not a death sentence. It, it's it is a but it is a serious risk. It's a serious risk that needs to be managed. And there is no choice you can pick where people are not going to be harmed. Yeah, you're going. You just that's part of life. Right. Life is not risk free. It's, it's a matter of making sensible choices yeah. and balancing these things and then helping the people who get into trouble. Let's uh, take a quick break, draw some conclusions. We'll be right back. We can sit here all day. Uh, Dr. Michael Wilcutts, thank you for coming in. Uh, so much information that's out there. So many things that are going on. So much misinformation. Uh, how, do, how do we draw the conclusions? What are the conclusions? Well, uh, again, um, this is a very infectious virus, mm -hmm. um, but it's not as deadly as we thought. I'm not trying to minimize the people who have died. We've had a lot of people die. We've had a lot of tragedies. We're not done with it, okay? But one thing, at least, is the people at risk are a defined subgroup, mm -hmm. and we can focus on protecting them. We're also lucky that one of those high-risk groups is not our children. And like I said, to me, that's an argument for going back to school, going back to daycare, letting people work. But we need to protect our elderly. We need to protect the greatest generation. We need to protect the people in retirement homes, nursing homes, things like that. And also people with pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. Okay. In fact, that, that's probably the biggest risk factor. If you look at if you look at New York, especially, we all have an opportunity to make ourselves healthier and, and better. As a doctor, I'm saying, hey, I'm looking for you to put me out of work, mm -hmm. <laughs> get healthy. You know, I'll do something else. But I just want to. There's a lot of people out there that are scared. There's a lot of people out there that are worried. 
I just, you know, while I'm saying there are no safe choices, we can manage these. And these crises tend to bring out the best in people and the worst in people. Right. Let it bring out the best in you. Right. And remember, I'm speaking as a scientist, as a doctor, let me tell you, I believe there's a God in the universe. And I could talk a whole point on that. And I know from looking at that God and from looking at, I'm just letting it hang out here, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, yeah. that is a God that loves his creation. Mm -hmm. Now, there are trials and tribulations in life that we all have to deal with. Um, this is not heaven on earth, okay? Right. Uh, you know, there's consequences of free will. But we are here to look out for one another and remember you, you are known. Out of the trillions and trillions of stars in the universe, you're known yeah. and you're loved. That's mm. a great point. Amen. And you got to hold on to that, folks. Dr. Wilcutts, we're going to have you back in here. So much we could talk yes. about. God bless you guys. We love okay. you. We'll see you soon. Bye.